What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. I'm Sebastian Norin, your Swede. With me is Elliot Niblock, your Yank. Elliot, how are things in uh, Virginia? Still swampy as heck, and you know what? You'll appreciate this. I found out uh, at my... I have you know, two jobs at the moment, one of which is a part-time restaurant gig, and I found out that my boss there is a United fan, and I came in with my Arsenal backpack, and he flashed his United keychain, and I said, oh, God, here we go. But then, you know, a certain thing happened over the weekends that made it a little easier to come into work today, but we'll get we'll get to that later. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, I was going to say, at least he didn't just say, you're fired, <laughs> you know? Well, so, you know what? He actually did, but in jest. I ah. You know, still clocked out today. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, let's uh, let's just dive right into it. Brighton beating Manchester United three two. That took place on Sunday, and uh, it was a bad, bad day to be a Manchester United supporter, or a bad weekend, I should say. Yeah, that was a rough one. Um, I mean, the the flip side, of course, being. You support the goals. Boy, I've never seen a stadium so full of joy. Like, the ball boys looked like their teeth were going to fall out. They were smiling so broadly. But, yeah, no, it's a great win for them. And, you know, it's always fun for the the smaller clubs. You know, Brighton came up last year. Uh, some When something like this happens, they beat one of the quote-unquote big ones at home. Well, and... and- very convincingly, too. Exactly. That's that's precisely what I was going to say, Seb. Is that I think "beat" is the right word here. They didn't they didn't nick three points. They didn't oh, no, squeak no. out a point. They they, they deserved this. I mean, and honestly, you know, with the the late penalty that Pogba converted, admittedly with a plum, you know, the scoreline looked better than it very well could have. Yeah, and once again, you know. We've talked about this many times before, but just a lack of creativity for United going forward. They had the vast majority of the possession of this in this game, but once again, they failed to do something with the ball. It's just this stupid pass it around, almost like a power play in hockey, and yeah. it is so frustrating to watch. You go down, oh, and then what's your plan B? Let's throw in Fellini and just chomp the ball up the field well, and hope that and something the, happens. And the crazy thing is that what that they well, first of all, I, I agree entirely. You know, they had two thirds of possession, they had eighty four percent pass accuracy with five hundred and seventy two passes, but I I guarantee you at least half of those were square balls. Probably a third of the remaining half were back passes. And I mean it was just it was it was tepid, but then, as you say, when they put Fellaini on, which is, as we well know, Mourinho's kind of default panic move. Maybe panic is the wrong word, but still, we go down in a game or we're, we're desperate for a goal to even, you know, get out of an equalized position to try to nick a winner. But they, the bizarre thing is that there are... There already seem to be signs of this team just not really listening to Mourinho. Uh, But because they started to kind of boot those long balls in towards the big Belgian. But after a few minutes, they kind of returned to this ticky-tacky, tepid passing, even with him. And it it almost seemed as though they, they brought him on, they switched the tactics, and then 
five, six minutes later, everybody was in a fugue state and they totally forgot that they were supposed to have a tactical shift and played the same way that they did before he came on. Uh, and you know, a week ago, Seb, I was saying, I don't know, I think it's too too soon to start that Mourinho third season implosion storyline. But it, we're we're starting to see the edges of that. I don't know if it's coming to full relief yet, but uh, it, it, that was that was the thing that stood out most to me. You know, it wasn't just the the Mourinho kind of mopey post match pressers as oh yeah we make mistakes we get punished, but more the fact that they he implemented a tactical shift with a substitution. They did that for a little while and then just kind of forgot about it or refused to do it any further. And that seems to me like a team that the manager and the players are not on the same page for whatever reason, whether it's just kind of a lack of vision, a lack of message or, you know, kind of creeping in apathy. Yeah. And it, you know, right now Manchester United in sort of a mess, there's, you know, Paul Scholes came out after the game and sort of criticized Paul Pugba a bit. You know, he's wearing the armband. He doesn't feel like he has that sort of, what do you say, pondus? I'm trying to find the right word here. But the, the oomph to be the captain for United. Yeah. And uh, then his agent went on Twitter Mino Raiola, if you don't know, is Paul Pogba's agent and um, lashed out at Skulls, which is not something you should do because then then the United fans will come after you. Yeah, I mean, but let's be real. Nothing's sacred to agents, including fan bases. I mean, they're, in fact, in some sense, their job is to be that kind of vanguard for the emotional knee-jerk response so i don't i mean i I put a lot more weight into the things that paul Scholes says and i don't even have that club loyalty for the respect i have for him although i do have respect for him regardless of my club yeah mina reola is a very interesting character i'll leave it at that but i do i do feel Scholes has a point in his criticism i i don't think that I think it was Danny Mills who said that, you know, Sir Alex would have sold Pogba by now. I don't, I don't think that's the right choice. I think Pogba is a phenomenal player. The root of the problem is Mourinho. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that there's, there, there's a little bit to both sides in that, you know, those kind of, those kind of natural born leaders with the thing this this is my mind about this issue you know and i've thought about this at arsenal as well because arsenal arguably really doesn't have that kind of player either you know Mesut Ozil is certainly not that but we live in an era in which the scouting networks are so vast the talent pool is so deep and the money to be made is so ludicrous that it's always always massive talent first and And I don't mean to personally question anybody's character in this, but that said, you know, in a previous era when we weren't scouring the entire world and most of the Premier League teams were made up of Englishmen, you know, or at least Englishmen, Welshmen and a few Scots. Right. But now it like the the rise of that natural leader through the team happens less frequently, I think, because not only a there's so many different you know, native languages spoken on the pitch, even just in one team sheet, say nothing of the whole squad. 
And B, there's so much more turnover that you don't see the same group of guys together for, you know, for the most part anyway, for five years. And those are the scenarios in which, in my experience, at least in various walks of life, that's when you start to see those natural leaders kind of emerge from that situation. And when you don't, you can't really force that, right? Like it's, it's a rare it's a rare persona who can step into a locker room that's made up of, you know, a huge disparity of backgrounds. I, I don't, I mean, you know, from all over the globe and that, that, that team may only be together in that, you know, configuration for one season. And it may be wildly different the next that can come into that kind of scenario and say, right, I'm going to take the reins. I'm going to be the on the pitch leader. I'm going to know exactly what the manager believes in terms of the system we're implementing and how to communicate that effectively to my teammates. I mean, I just think that we've seen that kind of leadership dip in the Premier League, and it's it's lamentable for sure. But I think that all of those other factors have to play a role. It's not just down to the players' personas themselves or even down to who I believe to be a terrible leader of men. Jose Mourinho in the locker room. No, that's absolutely true. And you get sort of romantic when you look back at players like uh, Tony Adams or Roy mm-hmm. Keane, just to mention, you know, our teams. And it's easy to be like, oh, I, why don't we have a Roy Keane on our team anymore? Yeah, you know, Steven Gerrard, you yeah. know, I mean, not that Ab- long yeah, ago. Absolutely. So, like you said, I think it's part of the new era, really. And but hopefully you know Papa can grow into it. Hopefully we'll get a new manager by Christmas. Uh, you know I keep telling myself that. I keep telling myself that. You know hopefully it will it will come to fruition. But it is just it's so frustrating right now to watch this team because it's a team that through so many years, even though they weren't always great at defending, you know they would always be dangerous going forward. Yeah. And now it's they're not very good at defending. And they can't go forward. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh boy, it I, is, I it is a I rough have, one. I have some sympathy for Juan Mata. Boy, he's got to be one of the most frustrated, most talented footballers in the world over the course of the last couple of years. <laughs> well, they, they, that's the thing. They have the quality in the squad. It's it's mm-hmm. a s- tactical tweak that needs to be made. Mourinho needs to evolve. He hasn't, and that's that. They will. Have a really tough game next Monday as they play Tottenham Hotspur. They won the derby at home against Fulham, 3-1 to one at Wembley. I mean, Spurs, they just love playing those London derbies. Uh, Lucas, yeah. Lucas Mora, Kieran Trippier, Harry Kane. So Harry Kane actually scored in August. Yeah, miracle of miracles. Yep. So And then Mitrovic got the goal for Fulham. So Spurs... I mean, we've talked about them before. They have a very good side. They have a very strong starting 11 and some quality on the bench as well. Yeah, and they certainly weren't shaken by the, you know, lack of the move to their new stadium as anticipated. And I think that probably part of that is that, you know, they may, in fact, when they do move to that new stadium, be more shaken than they are playing at Wembley because, right, they spend a season settling in at Wembley and they've got to do that all over again at their new ground. So, I mean, I think that from just quickly touch on Fulham, I'm, you know, I was really high on Fulham at the beginning of the season. And I think that the Cottagers shouldn't be hitting the panic button just yet. I mean, obviously, it's rough to lose Derby to Crystal Palace at home to start. But, I, you know, nobody could have realistically thought that they were going to go and play Tottenham, whichever pseudo home ground Tottenham's playing in. 
and get even a point from that fixture. But yeah, Spurs are looking good, and I think that um, you know I think that United should be happy that they are going to be going back to Old Trafford and will at least you know have the their real true home ground on their side. But I, I mean, are are you at all optimistic coming into this fixture? Oh no, not at all. Not <laughs> at be all. hard to be. Yeah, like a point here would be nice. That's how bad it's gotten. Yeah, I mean, if you and I, I guarantee you said that if you go back in time and tell yourself of a decade ago that you're hoping for a point against Spurs at Old Trafford, you would laugh in your own face. Pretty much. Yeah. Unless it was during the Van Hall days. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I said a decade ago. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, a decade ago, I would have just said, bring it on. Bring it on. Yeah, to make United's weekend even worse, Man City pummeled Huddersfield 6-1 at home at the Etihad. Very convincing performance. The one thing that sort of I took notice, they spoke about it too on the NBC uh, broadcast, was Huddersfield's sort of lack of emotion after getting pummeled like this. There was no no real signs of frustration. The manager was sort of, uh, whatever. It was very... It was weird. I know yeah. that you're playing the defending champions on the road, but still, losing 6-1 is never good. I mean, this is the the weird... This is the pep era, man. This is the new normal, that losing 6-1 to City is like losing, I don't know, 3-1 to most other sides. And yeah, it's disappointing, but maybe you were in it for a moment. And just probably for, I was going to say better or worse, definitely for worse, um, that they're just happy to get on the score sheet, right? But... I think that this that like that that you point that out uh, and you know as they did on the broadcast as well. I think that that speaks volumes to the kind of maybe you could call it the corollary, like the flip side of City's own confidence is that other teams are treating them like that, you know. And uh, every you know every Arsenal commentator I've listened to and read since match day one, has basically said the same thing about Arsenal losing to City at home on the first day. It was basic, was like a similar, you know, a, a similar idea, right? That, yeah, we lost 2-0, but even though we were playing at home, we were playing Manchester City, so we never really expected to win. And honestly, as long as we didn't get blown out 4 or 5 to nil, then it's fine. You know, and, and a similar, kind of like a similar scale, right, in terms of, the opposition's expectations have shifted because City are such dominant favorites that, you know, we, we like they've started to to operate in this way that anything less than a huge blowout is totally acceptable. And a huge blowout is not the way you would respond to getting hit for six by a different team. No. So, I mean, I think that that is a good point. But yeah, that said, I'm you're, you're not you're not going to like this. Ooh. <laughs> But City, definite, rightful favorites. They're the defending champions. They've got at least as strong, probably even a slightly stronger squad than they did, you know, running out clear winners last season. I I still, my money is on Liverpool. Hmm. I mean, I I can see an argument for that, sure, but City just feels... Yeah. 
and so I'm, strong. I mean, just those games between those two teams could very well end up being the deciding factor. Absolutely. And that's, absolutely. that is both horrifying for me and very exciting for the league as a whole. Yes, exactly. I, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, I, wa- I want to talk a little bit about Sergio Aguero in this game. He scored a hat trick mm-hmm. and that first goal. The long ball up from Ederson, perfect run for Aguero, a little touch here, and then a clinical finish. Oh, he's good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think that if you're Gabriel Jesus, you really, you have to be, you have to be so patient um, because it's, you know, up, up. Well, we are a yank and a Swede. I'm going to do the yank thing. <laughs> I'm going to draw a parallel to the National Football League. So in American in hand egg ball, uh, for a long time, Aaron Rodgers had to sit on the bench, even though he is now clearly established as an inarguable first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. And I think that the same thing is true for Gabriel Jesus, because Aaron Rodgers was sitting behind another Hall of Famer in Brett Favre. And a lot of us were thinking last season, that this that would be Jesus's really coming out party. You know, I was looking last a year ago around this time in August, the at the you know the bookmakers' odds on Jesus being the top scorer in the league, and they were relatively short. And he is an amazingly talented player. He's only 21, but in a lot of other squads, not only across the world, but in the Premier League, the most competitive league in the world. He would not only be starting every match, he would be the first name on the team sheet. But but that he's being kept out of the squad by Sergio Aguero, I think that, you know, if I'm if I am Pep Guardiola, uh, then I am reminding him, you know, at least at least monthly, if not biweekly, that like, look, you are gonna be the future of this club. You're almost a decade long younger than Sergio but you've got to watch him you've got to learn from him and not get frustrated by the fact that you're not getting the playing time that you might be elsewhere because this is a fantastic opportunity right you know and there's no way to go back in time and say that okay well Aaron Rodgers would be just as good if he had started playing three years sooner rather than watching a Hall of Famer in front of him a Hall of Famer who also made mistakes right and you know Aguero is not perfect either but he had a very close to perfect game in match day two. And I think that if he, if he can keep, you know, if he can keep his nose to the grindstone and his eye on the horizon and other metaphors as well, then Gabriel Jesus can learn from Aguero and become at least as good in the future for Manchester City. But he's got to he's got he's to kind of like not, no offense, not pull a Pogba, right, and say, screw this, I'm done, I can get playing time elsewhere and cut and run. Uh, at least not from Manchester City's perspective, because obviously Pogba was hugely successful when he did that. Yeah, and I mean, looking at this game too, he, you know, Guardiola opted to start with both of them on the field too, sort mm-hmm. of making a tweak in the system, which also shows their strength that they're able to play multiple different systems and still be very successful yep and another thing i think to draw uh, another contrast between pep and jose you know this we're talking about jose he's got this system it's his system he wants to do it no matter the situation no matter the players like this is how he plays and 
he often throws his players under the bus explicitly or at least just kind of breeds tension in the locker room passively. But on the flip side, like Pep, you know, Pep tweaking the system to start Jesus, I think he's he's uh, smart enough. I mean, that's that's an understatement, a brilliant enough football mind to be able to make that work on the pitch tactically against the opposition. But also, I think it has to do with what I was just speaking about, right, in terms of trying to keep his young player happy while also relying on one of the greatest strikers the Premier League has ever seen, who is, you know, nearing nearing the twilight of his career, but still at the peak of his powers at 30. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see. They will take on Wolves on Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m. kickoff for that one. Wolves, they suffered a 2-0 defeat Leicester. A little bit of a rough start going, coming back in here to the Premier League. And um, we'll see. It's a, it's a tough ask, even though they're at home, of course. Yeah. Uh, one more thing regarding City. Uh, they already have De Bruyne out for, we suspect, three months with a knee injury. And then... Claudio Bravo ruptured his Achilles tendon in training. So he will be out for a while, they think. So now they're you know, they they're down a goalie. They have Ederson as their starter, but uh-huh. now their backup is Daniel Grimshaw, 20 years old. So, I mean, here's he, here's a scenario that I am going to say with a big huge chunk of rock salt that I would, you know, I would never wish injury on any player, you know, even an arch rival. I, w- I don't even wish injury on Harry Kane as a gooner, and that's, you know, that, that's a hard one. <laughs> but that said, if Aderson were to go down, it would be a lot of fun for this league at this point. And I don't, again, I, like I wanted, you know, I don't want that to come off the wrong way. I do not wish injury on this player. But if you have this city team that is scoring five or six goals regularly with kind of a greenhorn between the sticks, then, you know, we're going to see even more goals. And boy, I tell you what, if they have a, you know, not true top tier goalkeeper and they play Liverpool, that would be, I mean, you know, often we expect these things and they end up being tepid nil-nil, one-nil games, but that would be a game that you 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 might see 10 goals in. Yeah, so they might go after a, uh, you know, a player that is not on the contract right now the thing is though that it needs to be a homegrown player so uh, a couple of names that have been floated uh, was i think Stuart taylor's name was out there but i mean he's old as dirt <laughs> he's 37 now i mean he would be the third option of course but still uh, it's um mm? We'll see there what they can do. It's uh, it's unfortunate. I I almost feel like you should be able to have a emergency loan option. I mean, there is you can apply f- yeah. to the league, and but a domestic like you can have one wild card, one domestic loan. Well, but I mean, the homegrown rules still apply to that, right? I'm not sure. I think that's just for the out-of-contract player. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I... At the same time, the Murphy's Law and the fact that we're talking about this means that Ederson is going to have the season of his career and oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a total non-issue. Yep. No, that's very true. Very true. Uh, what else? We got Chelsea uh, gotten uh, a nice little 3-2 win over Arsenal at Stamford Bridge on Boy. Saturday. 
this game feelings about this one oh yeah many feelings many Um, many fluff chances boy obama yang had one of the worst games that he has i think actually you could say that was the worst game. game period that he's had in an arsenal shirt so far in the eight months that he's been with the club um and it was so infuriating, you know, because it, it was, and it was also Urzel had his worst. He completed fifteen passes. I, I don't think I've ever seen him play, even coming on as a substitute for Arsenal, and complete complete less than twenty passes. I mean, it is woeful from both of them. Um, you know, and I, I want, I still want to try to take bright spots from this. Uh, the, well, okay. The okay. The fr- I mean, the frustrating thing about it is that it looked like we were totally out of the game. Mkhitaryan, you know, and both Mkhitaryan missed a sitter and then scored a much more difficult goal. Um, we, could, I mean, this game we could have had five goals in this game if we'd finished more clinically and won it easily. But it reminded me of the three-three Liverpool draw last season. Um, in which we were, you know, happy to get anything from that game, although you know, a little frustrated because we did go ahead, but um, but we didn't get anything from it because our defending is still woeful, and we, I, be- I believe in Emery's system. I think that Arsenal can definitely still improve under him. I mean, they have to, but they, I, I just don't, I don't know. That any defense, I said this last week, I don't know that any defense with Shkodran Mustafi in the center of the park at its anchor can ever be expected to keep a clean sheet against a Premier League team. And I don't mean against just the top Premier League teams. I mean against a Premier League team, full stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, but, a, it was a weird game because Chelsea, they went up 2 nothing within 20 minutes. It looked like, okay, well, it's done and dusted now. Arsenal can't find a goal to save their life. And then, totally against the run of play, Mkhitaryan and Nivobi ties it up. And you're like, wait, what, what's happening here? Are they actually going to turn this around and win this game? What, like, what is Chelsea doing? Because they were not defending that well either. And then we came out of the gates in the second half as, actually, no, we didn't even come out of the gates. The yep. gates opened and we just decided to kind of sit there and play tiddlywinks in the dirt while Chelsea went ahead and actually... You know, scored a goal, got the winner. Look yep. at that. Yeah, Marcus Alonso I mean, scored the winner in the 81st minute. He's been rumored with a move. Both Real and Atletico Madrid are hot on his heels. So Yeah, I mean, I I would, if he goes anywhere, I would expect that it's to the Bernabeu because um, he's, he's easily got the talent. Uh, I mean, he's one of the best in the world. But I think that the from a kind of like larger picture, the two things I'll say is that like trying to, you know, find the lining that is at least a little bit silver <laughs> for Arsenal sitting, you know, near the very bottom of the table with no points from two matches is that playing at home against City and then away at Stamford Bridge as the first two fixtures is really tough. And a point from those two games would have been decent. No points is frustrating, but, you know, it's not it's not that different. The way the game went is what's so annoying because on paper, saying, oh, okay, if we lose to Chelsea away, that's understandable, but we had so many chances and we fluffed them. The The name that I want to bring up, um, however, is 
uh, Matteo Guendouzi, the young Frenchman who we signed this summer, who was maybe not the lone bright spot, but certainly the brightest spot and maybe the only performance on the day that was totally, you know, unimpeachable. You can't find anything wrong with. He completed 94% of his passes while getting harried in midfield constantly by a very good Chelsea team on the road. And even more impressively, like he had some gaffes in match day one against City in terms of giving up possession in the middle of the park or even kind of in the final third. And he cleaned those up. You know, he made mistakes. And the next week he's on the team sheet, starts the match. Those mistakes are totally absent. And some of his passing was, you know, not merely those square balls that we were talking about in terms of United's play, but incisive vision passing to get into the final third. I mean, he is a player who is really exciting. And I'm not just saying that because he looks like Sideshow Bob, but I do love that he looks like Sideshow Bob. You got your own Sideshow Bob now. Yeah, uh, Sideshow Bob as a, a, you know, French teenager. Yep. That's that's a combination I never thought I would be thinking about, much less speaking about on our podcast, but here we are. No, that's very true. Arsenal, they have a derby at home against West Ham. That's Saturday, 10 a.m. kickoff. West Ham off to a uh, rough start, too. They lost 2-1 to one to Bournemouth in their latest game at home. And, uh, I mean, that's the thing, too. West Ham, they moved into a new stadium not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really made it into this, you know, fort like the old one was. So, I'm, I'm you know, to make a correlation back to Spurs, I'm wondering. I'm wondering because Spurs had big troubles when they first went to Wembley. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, that's what I was speaking about earlier that, you know, the, this kind of confusion about, oh, their stadium might be, not be open until February. What is that going to do to affect the team? I mean, as long as they can play at Wembley, not much. But here's the the real question mark for for Tottenham is, are they going to get to play all their games at Wembley? You know, because they, they, they may not. You know, like that they signed that contract for last season long before the season began. And now they're trying to scramble to get the games in there at the last minute. And so I... I think that that's the question is, are they going to end up having to play a home fixture here, a home fixture there, you know, anywhere around town that they can find? Um, Maybe, in fact, at the Olympic Stadium, you know, uh, as West Ham. But I, I think that West Ham will be mostly frustrated in terms of, you know, not only settling into that stadium, but the, you know, the vision as they did moving to that new stadium with Billich in charge, you know, with Dimitri Payet, that seemed like they were on the cusp of a renaissance, and you know, it's kind of back to the dark ages. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I still think that they have they picked a good coach. They it might take some take them a while, but it's uh, they should be fine. I'm more worried for a team like Huddersfield, to be honest. Yeah, but the, no, but this is what I mean: is that we're talking about West Ham, like oh, they should be fine, as opposed to challenging for Europa League places every season, you know? And I think that that's that's where, I'll be honest, that's where I envisioned them. That's where I expected them to be when, that you know, like, okay, they've got a beloved, you know, manager who knows the club deeply. They've got a fantastic talent. They've got a new big stadium to, like, pump in revenue. And unlike Spurs and unlike Arsenal before them, they didn't have to pay to build that stadium. No, they got a great deal in that stadium. That's very, yeah, very you know, true. it was just thanks, <laughs> thanks Olympic Committee. Great, yep. 
No, it's true. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, we know that there's scheduling conflict there with the NFL playing at Wembley, and then mm-hmm. the pitch might might not be suitable for uh, for a football game after that. So yeah. Well, <laughs> and the the um, the now correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, the NFL is scheduled to be playing at Tottenham's ground, and I don't know if that's to start this season, but they're having retractable retractable NFL astroturf at the stadium. No, I think that game was still scheduled for Wembley. That I mean, that could be, but the yeah. I mean, the vision for the future. Is yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that absolutely, be... yes, yeah, yeah. The new uh, Tottenham Stadium will be the NFL thing. It is. It is my dream to go there and watch the Packers play a game and wear my Arsenal kit underneath my jersey. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I'm yeah. definitely going to do that. Who knows? Maybe I'll have a couple too many pints and take off my Packers jersey at halftime and just strut around and <laughs> like, oh, look yeah. me, I mean, not the, in the old section. There, there's plenty of stadiums in London, so they should be fine. It's just that I, would, I wouldn't I would want to play at like the Emirates or Stanford they, Bridge. They, could not, they will not play at the Emirates. Arsenal would never allow that to happen. I would well, just, I don't know. Stan Kroenke might. Yeah, no, he's like, if you pay me. Yeah, God, that would just be gross. Yep. That would be so gross. I mean, and not just from an Arsenal perspective. From like, it would be gross to see United play a home fixture at the Etihad. It would be gross to see you know Liverpool play a home game at Goodison Park. You know, it's just it's not how it should be. And I like from from a, a personal appreciation of the culture of football, like you know. I know that there's a lot of money to be made. I know that in the end, kind of, we all are just submitted to the exigencies of global capitalism over and above everything else. But that this, you got to still try to hold something sacred, even as you're making money hand over fist. Not that I have any faith that Stan Kroenke would ever do that, but you know, go like play a match at Wimbledon. AFC Wimbledon are great. They'll be happy to have you. I don't think their stadium is up to code. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's literally partially built by the fans because the fans took over ownership of that club, which is awesome. But, yes, you know, that is it's cool. not a it's not a multi million dollar contract with the NFL to play hand egg here kind of stadium. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, Brighton, we talked about their nice win over Manchester United. They will take on Liverpool at home in their next fixture, or uh, Liverpool is at home. Um, on Saturday. That's a late game, 12.30 p.m. kickoff Eastern time. Liverpool, you know, after that, you know, I thought it was a very convincing 4 nothing win over West Ham opening weekend. Then they defeated Crystal Palace 2 nothing on the road. Not as convincing, but they got the win. Yeah, I mean, they didn't score from open play until like the 93rd minute, uh, despite playing against 10 men. Um, but that said... You know, I'm I'm kind of torn in terms of this match, right? And thinking, is it, you know, Brighton, you have to say, they just beat United. They You have to call them in great form at the moment. But I, I would almost think if I was a Liverpool supporter that I'd be happy to play Brighton at this point because I, I would expect, you know, you just had this phenomenal win at home. Like there, there might be a little bit of a hangover and they might not be up for it. But we'll, we'll see, you know, that <laughs> if... Glenn Murray heard me say that. He'd say, right, I'm going to book a ticket down to Virginia now and tell you what I think about that. <laughs> That's very, very true. Yeah, James Milner scored from the penalty spot, 45th minute, and Sadio Mane grabbed a goal in the 93rd minute. Uh, Aaron won. Bisaka got sent off in the 75th minute for Palace. 
And even though, like I said, they didn't play as convincingly as they did against West Ham, they still got the win, and that's you know that's really all that matters. You know that this team is going to have an off day, and if it, they still win and keep a clean sheet on an off day, then you can't really complain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel yeah. like Liv- some Liverpool fans have gotten very quick to be critical even though they shouldn't be because this team, you know, they've had their ups and downs for many, many years. And now because they've made some phenomenal signings, they've been painted out as one of the favorites here. That doesn't mean you should just jump on them and be super critical when you take a 2 nothing win on the road, even mm-hmm. though you were not playing that great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I can't argue with any of that. <laughs> there we go. Boom. Sweden law. <laughs> that's it. That's a new one. Cake on cake and then Sweden law. Sweden law. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, other games. I mean, from a neutral perspective, this is not maybe the best match week. Not the juiciest fixtures. No. Uh, and I think... By far the juiciest among them is United Spurs on Monday. Um, you know, but of course I'll still be getting up to watch the Arsenal. We'll see how late I stay out on Friday night. I've got a buddy coming into town, so <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> speaking of the Yank perspectives on the Premier League. Um, I was teasing him because he was a Fulham supporter years ago when Clint Dempsey first arrived at the club. Mm. Uh, and then since they got relegated and languished in the lower divisions, it's like, uh, got to pick another club in the Premier League. And so he started supporting Liverpool. And I was teasing him before the Champions League final. I was like, all right, man, you've got to enjoy this while you can, because next season you have to start supporting Fulham again. Otherwise, I'm going to call you a turncoat because they're back in the top flight. <laughs> That is very, very true. I mean, these are the, you know, this is the reality of supporting a team in the Premier League as an American if you've never actually, you know, because, I mean, my allegiance to Arsenal was based on living in London, only for a handful of months, mind you. But I think it's hard to really kind of instill that passion and that sense of commitment to a club unless you're, you know, like watching them from either from an early age, A, or, you know, you're like surrounded by it in the natural environment B, but he was just like, eh, sure. I like Clint Dempsey. I'll cheer for Fulham. I'll play a manager mode with them on FIFA. Yep. Oh crap. They haven't been in the premier league for years. <laughs> no, and I mean, that, that's an interesting point too. I mean, fandom can come in various shapes and forms and it's usually, you, it's something you either inherit mm-hmm. like from a parent or a grandparent. Yep. You know, I'm very happy that my grandpa on my mom's side, you know, brought me up to cheer for IFK Gothenburg. So I didn't get stuck with the other two teams that suck. (laughs) So, although I should say that IFK Gothenburg is having a rough season. Yeah. Uh, But hopefully they won't get relegated. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I was lucky enough to be born 20 miles from Lambeau Field. Right. You know, and was too young to remember the terrible days in the 80s of Don the Magic Man Mikowski and kind of my first awareness of football was 
Brett Favre's first season. That's mm-hmm. what I can remember. Like, and I have to remind myself that I'm not always going to have a Hall of Fame quarterback in charge of my team. <laughs> no, that is true. Yeah, and it, that's the thing too. I mean, you know, as far as me landing on Manchester United, they were playing against IFK Gothenburg. I thought. You know, this is a really cool team. Eric Cantona with the popped collar. I thought that was amazing. That was super <laughs> cool for me. Okay, so at like eight, law, you became a United fan because of a popped collar. Pretty much. I mean, Eric Cantona, <laughs> what a man. A man amongst men. I'm just I'm just picturing little Sep with stars in his eyes looking up at Cantona with his popped collar saying, What a man. I how mean do what a, how do you say what a man in Swedish, Seb? Vikan Mun. <laughs> okay. Yep. Big cognates. Yeah, it is I mean it's just he was so cool. And that seagull when the seagulls follow the twelve travelers, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea, quote, and I mean, he's he's amazing. I love that man. I really, really love that man. Uh, so yeah, let's let's end on that positive little note there. Pop collars and sardines. There yeah. you have it, folks. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's always fun. Uh, you know, we welcome all new fans. I think it's it's just a good thing, no matter how you fall into it. If you're <laughs> if you fall in love with Premier League, we're happy. That's basically it. Okay, so as always, follow us on social media on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Elliot is Keats was better, and then one Yank, one Swede, number one Yank, number one Swede. So until next time, have a good one and enjoy the games. <laughs>